The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. So it's good to think about what the cause of disease is from the beginning. The G, of course, is the estimated GFR, or the glomerular filtration rate. And then the last A is for albuminuria. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Conversion of Urine Protein Creatinine Ratio or Urine Dipstick Protein to Urine Albumin Creatinine Ratio for Use in Chronic Kidney Disease Screening and Prognosis. It appeared in the Annals of Internal Medicine July 14th. Joining us with this discussion is Joseph Vassilotti, who is a clinical professor of nephrology at Mount Sinai in New York. He is also the chief medical officer for the National Kidney Foundation. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Joe, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this podcast. You and I have had a lot of conversations about the stages of chronic kidney disease and the challenges of the two parts, the estimation of the GFR. And we're not going to talk about that a lot today, but the other part of the stages is how much albuminuria there is. And when we've talked, that is a sort of a difficult problem for many non-nephrologists. So if you could just start by talking about why the albumin creatinine ratio has been deemed to be the best way to divide people into different uh, stages of, of chronic kidney disease, and then we'll go over the stages and then figure out what this study was about. Thank you for this conversation today. I think it's important for me to start by saying I think that primary care clinicians can have a huge impact in improving the care of people with kidney disease by identifying kidney disease, by risk stratifying it, and by intervening. And I'm very much looking forward to talking about that in more detail. To start off big, I would say there is a CGA classification of chronic kidney disease. Now, that has limitations, but I think it's a great way to conceptualize it. That starts with C for cause, so it's good to think about what the cause of disease is from the beginning. The G, of course, is the estimated GFR, or the glomerular filtration rate. And then the last A is for albuminuria. So it's really both tests. We need the kidney function, the GFR, and the what we call the kidney damage, or we're conceptualizing that for people as kidney damage, the albuminuria. These have been shown to be complementary. So in other words, the higher the level of albuminuria, the higher the risk in large epidemiologic studies, the higher the risk for acute kidney injury, the higher the risk for progression of kidney disease, the higher the risk for dialysis or kidney transplantation or what we call end-stage kidney disease, and also, very importantly, the higher risk for cardiovascular disease. And the primary care clinician, the internist, the family medicine physician can intervene in all those areas. Uh, so... I think when we only think about the GFR, the kidney function, or the estimated GFR, we're missing an important part of the risk stratification. Clinicians know very well the lower the GFR, the more severe the kidney disease is. 
but they unfortunately haven't conceptualized it as much, or at least the testing data suggests that we see much less urine albumin to creatinine ratio testing. In the U.S., it's less than 50% for people with diabetes and less than 10% for people with hypertension. So I think we need to improve the testing of uh, albuminuria. And maybe it's because we haven't talked about it enough like this, thought about what it means to practice, and thought about how to integrate the results into your interpretation and into your interventions. And let me just add that being an academic hospitalist, I often see patients who admitted the hospital who have an elevated creatinine and no one has checked for albumin or protein. And so there's a role for the hospitalist also who gets those patients, especially if you can get them early. Let's make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. What we want to do is we want to diagnose significant chronic kidney disease prior to its progression. And especially those with albuminuria, we have tools to slow down the progression. So this is not just a theoretical problem. This is a very practical problem of trying to delay uh, and sometimes even avoid dialysis uh, in stage kidney disease management. I didn't put words in your mouth, did I? No, exactly. But also I would say to improve cardiovascular outcomes for your patients because albuminuria is a powerful predictor of cardiovascular events, cardiovascular mortality, and particularly heart failure, which I think is important to call out because I think it's complication of cardiovascular disease that is amenable to interventions in primary care. And it's a common cause of hospitalization and readmission that's also amenable to interventions in primary care. And nicely, some of the treatments for the kidney disease are also treatments for the heart disease. So we can really take advantage of getting that clue. Why don't we go over the stages of chronic kidney disease? Most people, even though the guidelines, if I remember right, changed in 2013, are still using just five categories. Uh, There are six categories now, but very few people are using the amount of albuminuria in their understanding of chronic kidney disease. It just doesn't come up, uh, at least outside of uh, nephrology circles. Why don't we start out with stages one and two, and and how do we define stages one and two, and when is it kidney disease and when is it not? That's important. That harkens back to the KDIGO, Kidney International Publication in 2013 that you mentioned. The NKF Kadoki endorsed that in 2014 uh, in a paper by Dr. Leslie Hinker. In terms of the CGA cause GFR albuminuria classification, if you think about stage G1 and G2, Those are where the GFR is normal. The estimated GFR is above 60. And the only way to detect kidney disease there is to test for albuminuria in in primary care. There are other ways you can have the CKD stage G1, A, A3, A2 with other markers of kidney damage like hematuria or kidney biopsy finding or polycystic kidney disease, which is a genetic cause of kidney disease. But in general, I think for the internist, it's really going to be albuminuria that defines kidney disease stage G1 and G2. And that will never be detected if you only test individuals who have reduced GFR. You have to be testing albuminuria for people at risk for kidney disease, not everyone, just the people at risk with things like diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, a family history of kidney disease. Those are some of the major 
risk conditions, I think that internists should know. The list is very long for chronic kidney disease uh, risk conditions, but I think that's a good working list for internists to consider. Let me make sure that everybody understands the lingo that we're using. G, the G stands for the GFR. So a GFR greater than 90 would be G1 if it was kidney disease. But without being able to define kidney disease, we should not write down CKD for G1. G2 is 60 to 89. Again, we should not write down chronic kidney disease unless we have either one of those other diseases you mentioned or an A. What the heck is the A? The A is the amount of albuminuria. And you mentioned A1, A2, and A3. I think let's define those now because that's really gets to the goal of this study. Thank you for raising that question. So there are G stages and there are A stages. And the albuminuria stages, A1, is a spot urine albumin creatinine ratio of less than 30. And then A2 is 30 to to 300 or just less than 300. And 300 or higher is stage 3. So those are the the stages. You can also do a 24-hour urine for um, albuminuria. And that would be the milligrams of albumin in a 24-hour urine collection. But because that's cumbersome, because 24-hour collections are subject to under-collection and over-collection, we recommend the spot urine albumin to creatinine ratio um, be performed in routine practice. I've seen this error, by the way, that CKD G1 or G2 is used to define kidney disease when there's no albuminuria, which is incorrect. So I think it's very important that you raise this. As a peer reviewer of the medical literature, I've reviewed many papers that by investigators who make this error in in their data assessment. So I think it's really important to emphasize that point. Without albuminuria, unless we have polycystic kidney disease or we know they have glomerulonephritis, something like that, we have biopsy evidence, Uh, a GFR above 60, that's not kidney disease. That's not chronic kidney disease, unless they have one of those other things. Now we get to stage three. And a lot of people learned that stage three was 30 to 59. In 2013, they changed it to 3A and 3B, uh, which is 30 to 44 and 45 to 59. Why is that so important? I would add that it's important to say that the albuminuria should be persistent. So um, you should repeat the specimen, especially if it's between 30 and 300. in general, if it's more than 300, that level of albuminuria is severe, and that's usually reproducible. The importance of splitting stage 3 into 3A and 3B is that that's a very large population in NHANES, and the risk stratification in terms of the heat map for chronic kidney disease, so the, the risk of adverse cardiovascular and kidney outcomes, is really increased across that threshold as you go from a GFR between 45 and 60 and a GFR between, as you said, 30 and 44. That is a very important distinction, I think, to make. Also, in the elderly, there are patients who have what we call G3A, A1. So these are individuals with a GFR that's just a little bit less than normal, who don't have markers of kidney damage, And that may be just normal aging. And a lot of professionals are cautious about overly intervening there. So I think that's another reason why I think it's important 
that we make this um, risk stratification across G3, A, and B, and also consider the level of albuminuria accordingly. On the, uh, alternatively, if you have CKD, G3, A, A3, so someone with a GFR between 45 and 60 and a urine albumin to creatinine ratio, 300 or higher, those individuals are going to be at high risk for adverse outcomes. So the risk stratification by albuminuria is very important, especially across these stages. So I'm going to restate that because I loved it. So um, a 75-year-old patient comes into your office, no reason for them to have kidney disease. You get an estimated GFR of 55. You say, oh my gosh, maybe they have kidney disease. You get albumin-creatinine ratio. If it's less than point. Is it less than 0.03? It's 30, less than 30 milligrams per gram. Of less creatinine. than 30, 30 milligrams per gram. If it's less than 30 milligrams per gram, they don't really have kidney disease because that's, that's just a little leakage. If they have more than that, now we have to start thinking about they may be progression because they're, they're between 30 and, and 300. And then if they're greater than 300, we're definitely going to be fairly aggressive and might want to involve a nephrologist at that point to start working on the uh, complications that will occur. And one of the ways I teach it is that you don't get a lot of complications in the 3A group, in the 45 to 60 group. You start to get metabolic complications, mostly in the 3B group, and then in the 4 group, the 15 to 29 group, which is sort of pre-dialysis group. Yeah, thank you. And I would say that that individual with borderline low GFR and no albuminuria, maybe you just don't want them to take prolonged nephrotoxins like three months of an NSAID. Or maybe that's someone who, if they have cardiac surgery or major abdominal surgery, you, you're concerned about the risk of acute kidney injury. But in general, you, don't, you wouldn't be intervening. And if, if you um, don't want to counsel the patient about CKD in that case, I think as long as you consider the patient safety issues, that's totally reasonable. If that same person has, you know, 450 milligrams per gram of albuminuria, then I think you have to start to think about, well, number one is cause, right? Is Could this be a glomerular disease and maybe I need a kidney biopsy? Is this a patient with diabetes that I'm just going to think has diabetes or not? So I need to think through that as well as the interventions. If they have hypertension, I need to think about an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker, but generally not both. Uh, if they have type 2 diabetes, certainly even for someone age 75, I would consider whether or not they're a candidate for SGLT2 inhibitors. I would, of course, look at blood pressure control and diabetes control. And then I think the way to think about cases like this is that uh, is this patient is at increased cardiovascular risk. So am I controlling the blood pressure? Maybe my target, which is controversial, I know, but maybe I should shoot for that 130 over 80 target because of the risk of cardiovascular disease in this person. Statin-based therapies are generally going to be recommended for people with CKD in general, but particularly, I think you should think about it when there's albuminuria. Now we run into the sticky wicket. I work in a hospital that doesn't, I don't get urine albumins, I get urine proteins. And so let's set up uh, the big overview of this study. So what essentially this study about converting the uh, protein creatinine ratio to an albumin creatinine ratio so that for those of us who don't have access to the albumin-creatinine ratio, we can still make intelligent decisions. Yeah, thank you. So albumin-creatinine ratio and protein-to-creatinine ratio are different tests. They're tests that are used in this study, 
how do we use them interchangeably? So I think that's important. But I think there are reasons we should understand that these tests are different, and we might want to use both tests in some cases. In general, albuminuria is the most sensitive test for kidney disease, and that should generally be what clinicians order, usually with the urinalysis to look for hematuria um, as well, as well as pyuria. Most glomerular diseases are about 60 to 70% albumin when you look at the total protein. So that can help guide you in your assessment of the patient who has a high level of albuminuria where you want to look at the cause. Individuals who have relatively low levels of albuminuria, but with a significant amount of proteinuria, less than like 30% or less, I think you have to start to think about paraproteinemias and think about myeloma, think about what recently has been described as monoclonal gammopathy of renal significance. So patients we used to call as MGUS, but who have kidney biopsies that show myeloma involvement. And that's, uh, so that's, that's an important uh, distinction, I think, to address. What this study very elegantly does with almost a million patients is compare the protein to creatinine ratio to the albumin to creatinine ratio. And really, it shows that uh, I think the figure in the paper that is really helpful shows that they line up very well above a level of a PCR of about 50. So I think that's important. I think the authors recognize that albuminuria is the best test and that proteinuria or protein to creatinine ratio is uh, less sensitive and specific, but where it's not available, uh, the urine albumin creatinine ratio is not available. Or if you're looking at an existing data set, which may not have albuminuria, you can substitute proteinuria or supplement the proteinuria, the uh, albuminuria data with the proteinuria data. So if I'm seeing a patient who has had a protein to creatinine ratio, and they get admitted, I'm trying to make sure that uh, students and the interns, the residents, and I understand how much kidney disease they have. This table four, which is on page six of uh, the article, really sort of breaks it down that uh, if you have less than 142 milligrams per gram, how they come up with that number is, is fancy statistics, then you're probably that A1 where we're, we're going to watch it, but we don't have to do anything right now. That between the 142 and 660, and 660 becomes the magic number here. So up to, up to 660 milligrams per gram, they have that stage B, and, and we need to be working on them. If we can figure out a way to get an albumin to creatinine ratio, that'd be nice. Uh, and above 660, they're in that big A3 category that we want to be quite aggressive because they're at very high risk for progression of kidney disease. And it looks like the sensitivities and specificities are really quite good. So we can't, essentially what this says is if that's all we have, there's a way to use it. Yeah, I think in general, the specificity was better than the sensitivity. Uh, the, they're both pretty high at the higher thresholds of the protein to creatinine ratio. One other point that I think I didn't make earlier is that there's going to be a national standardization of the urine albumin to creatinine ratio so that across laboratories, clinicians can have confidence in the results. Whereas the protein to creatinine ratio, just because it's laboratory test that's comprised of several different protein assays, that's probably never going to be standardized. So that's another reason why we're focusing on the albumin to creatinine ratio. One thing I did not mention is that the albumin-creatinine ratio can be used for nephrology consultation when you think you might have a kidney, need a kidney biopsy or where you think you need 
health managing the patient. The albumin creatinine ratio can also be used in prediction models that have been developed in kidney disease to predict the risk, the two and five year risk of end stage renal disease, the end stage kidney disease that's called the kidney failure risk equation. And that actually can be something useful as a kidneyfailurerisk.com website that um, where patients and clinicians can enter the GFR and the albuminuria level and other demographics and come up with the two and five year risk of kidney failure. That can be useful. I see that in two ways. Sometimes patients, when they're told they have CKD, are frightened about dialysis. Sometimes we think the fear is irrational or it's not proportional to the level of kidney disease based on the testing, like maybe some of the patients we've discussed today. And showing the patient that their two- and five-year risk of needing dialysis is very low can be very reassuring. And it also, when you show a patient that their two-year risk is, is 1% and their five-year risk is 5%, and you explain it in words that, you know, two out of 100 people like you will be on dialysis in two years, and only five in five years, whereas 95 would be free of dialysis. And that, that often resonates with people. They can conceptualize that better than just saying, we don't think it's something for you to worry about. And they can work the other way around, too. We have patients who don't want to prepare for kidney replacement therapy, who have very high percentages, and that can help them understand and be motivated to do things like get a kidney transplant evaluation. The other thing in this article is they mentioned the urine dipstick. Now, I, whenever I see protein or urine dipstick, I tell the team that we need to check at, at my hospital a protein creatinine ratio, but it would be better to get an albumin creatinine ratio because I just don't know what to do with the dipstick because it depends upon the concentration of the urine that you collect. There's a lot of variables, uh, but they suggest that a urine dipstick of two or greater is about 0.7 to 8 uh, sensitive. It's fairly specific, but I'm yeah. not sure what kind of groups they are. And that may not be the same as the patients would get in the hospital who come in volume contracted. I mean, wh what do you take away about urine dipsticks? Well, it's better than no urine testing at all. It's semi-quantitative, whereas the urine protein creatinine ratio is quantitative, as we've discussed today. So uh, I would completely agree with you that certainly a urine PCR protein creatinine ratio would be better. Albumin creatinine ratio would be ideal. And the urine protein to creatinine ratio will give you a better, better confidence in your evaluation of the patient. And we have to be careful too, and I'm sure that uh, you've seen exam questions about this. When you see a, a protein dipstick, there can be false positives. I've seen patients with gross hematuria that have been referred to me for proteinuria, you know, because blood has protein in it. So when you have a large amount of blood in the urine, you second, and how much protein is in blood? Well, we do a total protein test, and so you can actually see how much protein is in an individual patient's blood by your chemistries. So um, I, I think that's, uh, you know, there are definitely limitations to the protein dipstick, and it's also less, much less sensitive, of course. This has been great, Joe. Um, I think we've gone over a lot of stuff. What's your final message to the generalists out there, the outpatient internists, the family physicians, the hospitalists who uh, are seeing the patient who has not been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease? And when you go over that, that's what we should be teaching all of our residents and all of our students. So what's sort of your take-home message that this study highlights and you'd like everybody to know better? I think that primary care clinicians check kidney function in their routine practice on all patients. 
and especially on patients who are at risk for kidney disease with diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease, a family history of kidney disease. I hope that they will test urine albumin to creatinine ratio more. Uh, if they don't have it available to them, protein to creatinine ratio is an acceptable alternative in, in most cases. How does that help the primary care clinician? One is, does the patient have kidney disease? Uh, the, the threshold of 30 higher of the urine albumin to creatinine ratio should guide you in that case. The severity of the urine albumin to creatinine ratio, whether it's A1, A2, or A3, that uh, less than 30, 30 to 99, 300 or higher, those will help you with your interventions, your blood pressure control, should you target the, the uh, 130 over 80, your ACE inhibitor, angiotensin receptor blocker, should you use that for your patient? You should if they have albuminuria. Your diabetes control, and for type 2 diabetes, considering an SGLT2 inhibitor, of which there are four available to clinicians currently. And then to think about cardiovascular risk reduction for those that have high levels of albuminuria. Are you addressing the lipids as the patient on a statin-based uh, therapy? Is there existing cardiovascular disease? If there's heart failure, are you intervening aggressively to treat heart failure, which we know is enriched in those people who have albuminuria and those people who have low GFR? And then I think the last thing is interdisciplinary care. You know, do I need a nephrologist based on a high level of albuminuria that might uh, need a kidney biopsy to determine the cause or might need more aggressive therapy? Do I need, I'm a big fan of medical nutrition therapy with a registered dietitian for blood pressure control and diabetes control, which I think can be helpful. A lot of people get confused and they just want to know what, what can, how can I fill a plate with all the different things I hear in the media and the, the different um, recommendations I get for what's healthy and, and uh, what's not. And I think that those interventions will help your patients uh, in terms of reduce their risk of progression of kidney disease, their risk of dialysis, and also will help prevent or reduce their risk of cardiovascular complications. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this has been a great discussion and hopefully it's going to help some of the listeners better understand how to try to slow down the progression of kidney disease and think about what kidney disease really is. So thanks a lot. Great. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. We had a very nice discussion of the stages of chronic kidney disease and why that's important. Measuring albuminuria is the gold standard for diagnosing proteinuric renal disease. However, not all labs provide urine albumin measurement. Often, we must use urine protein creatinine ratios rather than albumin creatinine ratios, and some offices only use dipstick proteins. This article gives guidance on how we can interpret the urine protein creatinine ratio to be somewhat equivalent to the urine albumin creatinine ratio. This is very important because, especially uh, with diabetes, but with any albuminuric kidney disease, we can delay the progression of renal disease with medications, and we can also focus on what often happens with these patients is concomitant heart disease and make sure that we do prevention for concomitant heart disease. And fortunately, some of our medications have positive effects both on the kidneys and on the heart. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and better understand the diagnosis of chronic kidney disease. 
For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.